Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church. This message is from our Renovate series, where we take a look at relationships through a biblical perspective and was recorded at our Menifee campus. All right, so there's some some crazy names in here, so bear with me. Um, But starting in verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Verse 2. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar and to the house of his God and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish and of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. Verse 5. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that the king drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. Verse 7. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Verse 9. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food to you in your drink. For why should he see that you are in worse condition than the use of who um, are your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Verse 11. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. Verse 16. So the steward took away the food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 19. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. 
and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of the king of King Cyrus. And this is the word of the Lord. Well, thank you guys for coming. And uh, the first thing that you'll notice is that I am not Eric, right? So <laughs> he is actually somehow the guy knew that this was going to be the hottest weekend ever. And uh, he, he got out of here. <laughs> He's on a well-needed vacation um, with his family. They're up in Mammoth right now. So I think it'll be much cooler up there. Uh, but my name's Josh. And I am uh, normally the, uh, uh, well, I just started, I guess, a couple weeks ago. I'm, I'm normally now the uh, children's um, pastor here. So normally I'm in with the little kids or helping out with some of our volunteers. And uh, don't worry, they are safe this morning. They are in safe hands uh, if you left your kids in, in children's this morning. And what's really cool is uh, not only is Eric gone this week, David's gone also. And um, we are still able to do this. And you know what? It's because we have a church. It's so awesome. We have a church uh, where everybody's a volunteer. And we're able to do this because there are so many people that, uh, that, are, that are willing to come in and serve and give their time. And so I'm super thankful um, just to be here with you guys and, and to, to be able to serve with you um, this morning. So we're going to be in Daniel chapter 1. And Bree did a great job reading again. Uh, there are a lot of uh, very foreign names in Daniel chapter 1, but um, that's okay. And so um, we're going to start off kind of um, over the last few weeks. If you've been here, we've been going through a message called uh, Renovate. Okay, a message called Renovate. And basically um, what we've been, what we've been uh, doing is, is looking at the ways that God wants to renovate or God wants to um, restore um, relationships with him Relationships that we have with each other, with our spouses, with our kids, uh, with even with uh, our, our work, right? Our relationship to work. And uh, over the last few weeks, um, what's cool is I've been um, so encouraged. I've been challenged by a lot of those messages. And um, I, I keep thinking, though, I keep thinking, oh, man, you know, I know people who would be totally blessed by this truth. You know, it's been life-changing for me. And so my, my thoughts are just like, well, how can, we, how can we engage people that we know with these truths? Um, and I, I was thinking, yeah, you know, I could point them to the, to, to the website or to the podcast. Maybe they could listen to a message. Maybe um, they can, uh, you know, get as fired up about it as, as I do. But I, I don't know. Maybe that, I, I just don't think that's enough. And so we're going to look this morning. Our, our question this morning is, you know, how can we impact the lives of people we know and love in this crazy, sinful culture that we live in? Um, and we're going to do that by looking at Daniel chapter 1. Because in Daniel chapter 1, they give us a great picture, picture or vision of how a person can engage with this culture um, in a way uh, to bring glory to God and to bring um, good to the culture. And our relationship with our culture is kind of like, you've heard it say, it's kind of almost like a fish, a fish's relationship to water, right? You, you don't even know that you're in it until you're pulled out of it, right? <laughs> you don't realize how important it is until, until you're gone. And, uh, you know, it, it's hard a lot of times as a Christian to figure out how to navigate those waters. Some of us feel like 
we should live as a fish out of water, right? And just get completely pull ourselves out of the culture. And some of us, though, end up just kind of going with the flow of our culture. And I think as Christians, uh, it can be tough to navigate those waters. And a lot of times we make the mistake of going to one extreme or the other, right? So we either isolate ourselves from uh, our, our culture, our communities. We go, we put in our our eight hours at work or 10 hours maybe. And then we come home as soon as possible to you know, maximize our leisure time, maximize our time with our families. And we kind of pull ourselves out and create a little bubble. And Christianity has been really good at that, right? We, we really like to pull ourselves out and make up our own Christian version of everything um, that the world's got. So we got Christian music and clothing and, and movies and all that stuff. So we either do that on one extreme or on the other extreme, we just assimilate completely to culture. We end up looking just like it, and we end up compromising our integrity and really minimizing our faith. And so some of us lean to one side, some of us lean to the other. Some, most of us, I think, like myself, are constantly alternating between one side or the other, falling off the horse one way or the other. And so this morning... Our question is, how can we engage as purposeful Christians in the world, in our world, in the place that God has us right now? And Daniel is a great picture of this. Daniel's a great picture of this. He gets put in a community, in a culture that's much like ours today. Ours is really a modern Babylon, isn't it? It's, uh, Babylon was a culture where they were pluralistic, so they believed that there were many ways to, go, to God, not just one. They were very um, cultured, so they uh, really valued the arts and the sciences, and um, they were very antagonistic towards people who wanted to practice their faith in public, just like ours is today. And Daniel, you guys know <laughs> the rest of the story, um, Daniel uh, faces that head on, right? So he, he finds out firsthand what it's like to try to live out your faith in a culture that's very much against that. And so from Daniel 1, we're just going to look at three things this morning. We're going to look at three things that Daniel's example encourages us to do. So the first thing is not to check out. Second thing is not to blend in, but engage our culture, our community, for its good and God's glory. So don't check out, don't blend in, but engage. And let's pray, and then we'll, we'll jump right in. Um, Father, thank you for bringing us here this morning. Lord, we thank you uh, for so many of us that, that uh, braved the heat to get here, Lord. Um, and I do pray that you would teach us from your word. Pray that you would um, give us wisdom um, in walking towards outsiders in a way that brings you glory and brings them the gospel. We pray that we do this uh, in your son's name. Amen. All right, so first... Daniel's example teaches us not to check out culture. And I don't know about you guys, but I am, I gotta confess, I'm a bit of an introvert. And I don't think it's just, well, it's not that I don't like people. It's just, it's just I don't like being around them. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> kidding, um, sort of. But you know, I, I, think, I, I don't think it's just me being an introvert. I think we live in a culture of in, introverts or we live in a culture of individual, individualization. And it's becoming even more so. 
So um, in 1950, you guys know what the average house size was? 900, I got it written down, 983 square feet. 983 square feet with an average size family of 3.3 people, which uh, if my math is correct, which probably isn't, you can correct me after service if it's not, leaves each person in the family with 292 square feet of living space. Today, 50 years later, 60 years later, um, houses are bigger, obviously, right? The average house is 2,400 square feet. Families are smaller. We're down to about uh, 2.6 uh, or so. Um, 2.6, is that what it is? Yeah, 2.6 family members, which leaves 954 square feet per person, which is about the same size as the average house in the 1950s. So even within our homes, we're becoming more isolated and more separate. Even with the people that we're supposed to be closest to, um, we're becoming more and more distant from them. And that's just one small picture. But I, I think it's really easy in our culture, to, when you don't agree with something, just to check out and just to kind of uh, do your own thing. Daniel doesn't do that. He doesn't check out. And what's the story behind Daniel? Well, you need to know a little bit of the context uh, of Daniel chapter 1. Um, as a youth, as a young guy, Daniel's taken from his home. They're taken into captivity, into Babylon. And um, it would have been really, it, it's a, a completely pagan culture. Completely different values, completely different beliefs. And it would have been really easy for him to just say, you know what? I'm done. I'm, I'm going to check out. I'm going to retreat. Or fight against the, this foreign, idolatrous culture and then have no impact at all. He could have shut down, disengaged. And in fact, if you read the book of Jeremiah, there are prophets. Now, they're not good prophets. They're false prophets. But they're telling the people to do just that. Shut down, disengage. And Jeremiah, the true prophet of God, tells them to do something different. And luckily, Daniel follows this advice. In Jeremiah 29... Um, 1 through 7, it talks about this, but in verse 7, um, God is speaking through the prophet, and he says to those people who are being taken into captivity, he says, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you'll find your welfare. And that's what Daniel did. Daniel sought the good of his community, sought the welfare of his community, and he prayed. Yeah, the through the prophet Jeremiah, God tells us to pray and to seek um, the, the good of the city. And so that's the first step of not checking out is actually what are the things that we're praying for to see God do through our city? How are we praying for our community? How are we praying for our culture? How are we praying for our nation? And um, he does that. He went. He actually goes and he says, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to pray for the good of the city. Second thing that we see Daniel doing in his, in not checking out, is he actually accepts uh, this offensive name that is given to him. If you look at verse 7, take a look at verse 7. Um, it says that, uh, and the chief of eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, and the rest of the names that I can't pronounce very well. But, you know, he gives them new Babylonian names. He gives them these names that would have been very offensive. The meaning of these names... If you look at the, uh, the original language, um, Daniel's name means God, or Yahweh, is my judge. And his new name means, uh, Belteshazzar, means Bel's prince. So one of their you know, foreign gods, prince. Um, and 
what we see throughout the book of Daniel is it seems like Daniel's friends end up taking these Babylonian names, right? You, you read it. You, you remember the names of the three guys that were in the fiery furnace? I think there's a song even, like a children's song. I got to learn that, my new role. Um, yeah, it's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We remember those names because they're throughout the rest of the book of Daniel. It seems like they just kind of accept the names um, in order to, uh, you know, in, in order to not, you know, go against the flow that much in, in that respect. They accept, they adopt these names later in the chapter. And really, if, you, if we're going to wear the name of Christian or the label of Christian, we've got to kind of accept the offensive um, parts of that. Uh, because being a Christian is a pretty negative term in our culture, in our community, right? The term Christian has a lot of baggage that goes along with it. So there was a recent study just a few years back where um, it's a study on the perceptions of Christianity, and one researcher wrote this. Through the research, we found the three most common perceptions of present-day Christianity are, one, anti-homosexual, an image held by 91% of young outsiders, two, judgmental, 87%, and three, hypocritical, 85%. Out of the top 12 perceptions of Christianity, nine of those 12 were negative. And so... If we're going to let people know at work, in our communities that we're Christians, there's going to be some baggage that goes along with that. I have a good friend who is, uh, uh, who at, at his work, he's, he's known as the preacher, right? And it's not like an endearing term at all. You know, people aren't calling him that like, oh, yeah, there's the preacher. Um, but you know what? I guarantee that um, whenever, and I know that this friend, because he, he, he is bold in his faith, um, when people have crises in their lives, they come to him. He's the first one that they come to. So in the end, it's worth it for him. Um, people will say untrue things about you when they find out that you're a Christian. It's just part of the label that comes with it. And how effective would Daniel have been and his friends have been if they were going around constantly correcting people with their name? No, 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 no. That's not my, that's not my real name. My real name is this. Um, they seem like they just take that offensive label. Because those Babylonians, really, they could, give them, they could give them new names, but they can't change their identity, right? And so he accepts this offensive label. The next thing we see Daniel doing is he studies and learns the culture. So if you look at verse 17, look at verse 17. It says, as for these youth, youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And this was, this was the Babylonian culture. This is what they were brought into Babylon to learn. They were brought there to learn a foreign culture. And, uh, you, you know, there, there may be many reasons, good reasons, for us to kind of um, step back from culture, for us to maybe homeschool our kids or put them in private school or, you know, refuse to watch certain programs or TV. There are good ways. Disconnect from social media. There are good reasons to, to do all that stuff. But you really do have to think, um, if you're going to do that, there are, you are, uh, you got to make sure you're not going to be pulling yourself out of any type of um, studying, ability to study the culture that may make you be able to connect with somebody um, in the gospel. So you got to be careful not to, um, not to uh, take away any chance you have of making a difference for Jesus in the world. And what we see even in the New Testament with Paul in Acts 17, and in 1 Corinthians 15, he actually quotes from Greek 
uh, philosophers and artists of, the, of their day when he's trying to make connections with his readers. And so um, if we're going to make a difference in the world, we have to engage somewhat in our culture. We have to do that with dis- discipline and discernment, um, but we're going to have to do it. We can't completely check out. Uh, So Daniel studies and learns. He also rises to prominence. So take a look at verse 19. Take a look at verse 19. It says, And the king spoke with them, and among them none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in his kingdom. And so um, Daniel rises to prominence. He becomes better in every way. He's actually 10 times better. He worked really hard at it, right? And this is something that we as Christians can do too in our jobs, in our work, as we engage with the culture. Um, We have to be seen as better, 10 times better in every way. We can't be known at work as just the guy who always asks for Sundays off or, you know, uh, just the girl that uh, never... Um, goes to any, any uh, social functions at work. We have to be known as the absolute hardest working, most excellent um, at our jobs. And th- this is kind of hard, and this was something for myself um, that I really had to learn, that um, my work is not separate from God's work. I used to think that uh, you know, all the work that I would do was, was through the church, all, all, the, 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 all of God's work that I was doing would have to be through the church. So I'd, I'd clock in, I'd do my job, I'm a teacher. I'd go teach, I'd get out early, and then I'd go home where I could you know, do the real ministry. Um, but over the years, God has been teaching me that my work itself um, is God's work in my community. And uh, another person that experienced this um, was John Coltrane, and he wrote about this in the, li- he's a famous jazz musician, he wrote about this in the liner notes of his album, of one of his albums, he said, during the year 1957, I experienced by the grace of God a spiritual awakening which has led me to a richer, fuller, and more productive life. At that time, in gratitude, I humbly asked to be given all the means and privilege to make others happy through music. I feel this has been granted through his grace. All praise to God. This album is a humble offering to him, an attempt to say thank you, God, through our work even as we do in our hearts and with our tongues. May God help and strengthen all men in every good endeavor. So your work is not separate from God's work. Your work is, in fact, God's work in this culture, in our communities. So Daniel doesn't just, blend, uh, doesn't just check out. Um, but on the other hand, he doesn't just blend in, right? He doesn't just blend in. And so if we're this fish swimming through these cultural waters then I think a lot of us, many of us, are just going with the flow, aren't we? Aren't we just going with the flow? Daniel doesn't do that. He doesn't just blend in. Um, He doesn't assimilate. And assimilation to our culture just means adopting and taking over all of those values and beliefs um, of the community, of the people that we live with. Um, Assimilation allows us to fit in so well that we never end up making a difference. And Daniel doesn't do that. He doesn't just blend in. Take a look at verse 8. In verse 8, it says, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food. 
And we don't know exactly what it is about the king's food. Um, we don't know if it was against the dietary laws. The text just doesn't tell us here. Um, maybe it was sacrificed to idols and, and it went against Daniel's conscience. But what we do know is that Daniel resisted blending in in this area. He didn't just go along with the flow in this area because they believed, that his culture believed, that somehow eating that king's food was going to end up making Daniel wise and healthy looking and, and all the rest. And Daniel knew, no, 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 it's not the king's food that does this. It's God um, who's behind all that. Daniel knew everything was from God, and we'll see that a little bit later too. Um, so he doesn't just blend in, and he trusts God despite social pressures. If you look at verse 9, in verse 9 in this whole section, we see um, it says, And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And then he asks this eunuch, Hey, is there any way I can eat my own food, not eat the king's food, and then in a few days you can test me, see how I look, see how I'm doing. And if I'm healthy, then um, you can continue allowing me to, to uh, eat this food. And so he trusts God, and he actually trusts, um, he trusts God with those results, which is really cool. And it takes a lot of faith and a lot of courage at times to know what's right, to do what's right, and then to trust God with those results, doesn't it? And in all of our lives, in all of our public lives, there are areas where we've identified that these are places where I just cannot go along with the flow. I've got to stand up for what's right. And the question for us this morning is, are we, are we willing to stand up for what's right, even when we're afraid to, even in those, in those situations? There's a story about uh, the Russian leader, uh, Nikita Khrushchev, um, and he was giving a speech to Russian political leaders shortly after Stalin's death. And he was denouncing the former leader, the communist leader, and denouncing his policies. And in the middle of the speech, some heckler from the crowd yells, you were right there. Why didn't you say anything? Why didn't you stop him? And at that, the room falls completely silent. You could hear a pin drop. And Khrushchev stands up there at his podium, and he glares around the room. Dead silence. And then all of a sudden, he pounds the podium and he says, who said that? And nobody says anything. And he says, now you know why I didn't speak up. Right? It was fear. And I think a lot of, a, a lot of times fear keeps us from trusting God, from standing up when we know we should, when we know it's time to go against the flow. It takes faith, it takes trust in a God who is in complete control. And Daniel trusts God, right? He doesn't check out, he doesn't blend in, but rather he engages his culture, his community, for its good and God's glory. So how can we do the same? How can we do the same? How can we engage um, our world, our community, our culture for God's glory and its good? How does he engage? Uh, what does Daniel do? Let's look at his example. You know, the first thing to notice is what he doesn't do. He doesn't hold protests or threaten to, you know, sue or, you know, I don't know, blog about it or anything like that, right? He doesn't do any of the things that we're tempted to do, right? What does he do? He, 
First off, um, he resolves. So if you look back, look back at verse 8. It says, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. And so based on Daniel's faith in God, he resolved to be holy. Um, he allows, Daniel allows his personal convictions to drive his actions, right? We see that. So he believes God is in control of everything. The big things, if you look back in verse 2, verse 2 says, and I, ha- I have this circled in my Bible. I love this about Daniel chapter 1. In verse 2, it says, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, into the king of Babylon's hand, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. And then in verse 9, it says, and God gave Daniel favor and compassion. And then in verse 17, again, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And I love this about Daniel. Daniel can make strong convictions in his life because he knows who is in control. And I think there are areas in all of our lives where we have to identify these areas where we are going to resolve to stick to our convictions. Right? No matter what, we're going to make some resolutions. In the last few weeks, again, this, this whole Renovate series has been great. And uh, uh, you know, Eric has just um, you know, done such a great job of, of um, giving us a new vision for what relationships can look like. And through that, I think a lot of us have made re- uh, resolutions, right? We've resolved to do certain things. You know, some of us have resolved to not put ourselves in like a risky work environment that might lead to some kind of sexual immorality. Or some of us have resolved to become better friends. Some of us have resolved to become more consistent parents um, or um, more forgiving spouses. And those resolutions are good. Hold on to those. Those should be things that, that, we are mar- that, that mark our lives, right? So the first thing that, does, uh, that Daniel does is he resolves. And the second thing, if you look at verse 8, he, Daniel requests. So first he resolves, then he requests. Take a look at, at verse 8, the second part of that. He says, therefore he asked the chief of eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. He takes a step of faith and he just asks. That's what I love about this part. He, he just respectfully asks his supervisor to try something else. He says, put it to the test. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But let's just see if this works. And I think there are um, areas in our own lives where we could ask, where we could make requests, and we're just afraid to. We're afraid that we already know the answer. So why even ask? You know, so some of us want to become more involved um, in the church, but our work schedule doesn't allow that. You know, it's, sometimes all it takes is asking. You might be surprised with the results. You know, some of us are pressured in, in our jobs into ethically questionable business practices. And it's like, it, it, we kind of think, like, there's no other way to do it. You know, you have to, if you're a fill-in-the-blank, you have to do it this way. Um, but have you asked if there might be a better way, might be a more ethical way to get the job done? So Daniel resolves, he requests, he just asks, and then um, he uses his relationship. Take a look at verse 9. Verse 9 says, And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. Now, I do believe that God gave Daniel supernatural favor, but I also believe 
that, you know, what's kind of written between the lines here is that Daniel worked, likely worked hard at cultivating this relationship. It wasn't like God just gave him a poof, magical favor in the sight of his, uh, of the, the chief of eunuchs. So he spent time, I'm sure, cultivating this relationship. And so for us, how are our relationships with people, with outsiders? How are our relationships with our supervisors or how are our relationships with our employees? Do you have the type of relationship where you can use your relationship to ask to make those types of requests um, when your, your, uh, your job or your school or um, your friends ask you to go against your conscience? Um, what are some ways that we can cultivate those types of relationships? You know, but part of it is just sometimes we've got to spend time with, you know, we got to spend time at maybe uh, um, volunteer opportunities or, or uh, social events at work that we're not too excited about going to. Um, so Daniel resolves, he requests, he uses his relationship, and then finally he trusts God with the results. And we see this all through chapter one. Um, again, um, it, it, he trusts God that God is in complete control in verses 2 and verses 9 and verses 17. He even trusts God with the results in the end that he will end up looking better than all of the other youths that are eating the king's food. And Daniel really has a healthy trust that God is in control of everything. The results are up to God because God is in control of it all. And the, the, his culture, they were thinking that, oh, yeah, of course it's the food that gives us, that makes us healthy and that makes us wise. Um, but Daniel knew it wasn't. Daniel knew all things came from God, and so he put that belief to the test. And, you know, the question for us is, okay, is this real life? Can this really happen? Can we make a difference for the gospel in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our families, on our sports teams? And I think the answer is yes. Absolutely, we can. If we believe that God is in control of everything. And I think, <clears throat> just kind of in closing, I, I know this type of message, it's, it's kind of a dare to be a Daniel message, right? And I would hate to leave you with just that. Because Daniel, if you read through the entire book of Daniel, Daniel is always pointing to someone greater, right? He's pointing to the Son of Man. In fact, Jesus himself shows up in Daniel in that fiery furnace. And that's who Daniel's really pointing to. Jesus is the true and better Daniel. So when we look at Daniel's example, we say, yeah, that's a great example. But we look past his example to the person of Christ. So Jesus, Daniel didn't just check out, but Jesus, in fact, calls himself the friend of sinners. He, like the good father in the parable of the prodigal son, comes running to us in our sin. He promises that whenever two or three are gathered, he is present, he is there. He promises to be with us always, even to the edge, end of the age. He calls us to abide in him, and he promises to live his life through us. Daniel didn't just blend in, but Jesus, even more so, doesn't just blend in when he comes, right? He lives a perfectly sinless, uncompromisingly beautiful life. Hebrews uh, 2 tells us that he was like us in every way, yet he remained without sin. 
He knows exactly what you are going through, and he sympathizes with that. He sympathizes with our weakness. And yet he never succumbed to any of those weaknesses. He lived a perfect life so that he could give his perfect life for us. And that's the good news of the gospel. And that's what he's offering you this morning. And so you might think, uh, you might think, my life is too messed up. I'm too broken to be a Daniel. And in the gospel, uh, God uses broken people, right? God uses broken people. There's an author that uh, says something like, uh, you know, I, I, I like to think that God uses broken people because there's more pieces to work with. And I think that's true. Daniel, did, Daniel engaged with his world for its good and God's glory, and that's exactly what Jesus does. He engaged with the world for its good and, and God's glory. Jesus comes and infiltrates the world for our salvation and in order to change the world. In John 1, we read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But then what happened? In verse 14, the Word became flesh, and he dwelled among us, and we beheld his glory that of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And this morning, um, you may be here for the first time, and in a room this size, there's got to be people who haven't fully surrendered their lives to Christ. And that's what we're inviting you to do this morning. Um, because he is the better Daniel. He's, he's a perfect man who not only wants to give his life to, to you, but also wants to live his life through you. And so during these next couple songs, as the band is coming up, um, we're going to invite you to do that. We're going to invite you to respond. So rather than telling you to dare to be a Daniel, I want to point you to the one to whom Daniel points because we've got a choice here. We can either be the types of people who complain and say, look at what the world is coming to, or we can be the types of Christians that point to Jesus and we say, look what has come to the world. Let's pray. You've been listening to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church, Menifee. If you would like to know more about the Menifee campus, visit us online at covgrace.org slash Menifee.